1: That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST.
0: Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, on Sunday, we learned that Lester Piggott had died at the age of 86. Even if you were not interested in racing, you will have heard of Lester Piggott. He is one of the great figures in sport in these islands, one of the greatest ever. The the word legend is much overused these days, but Lester Piggott was a legend. There were so many great achievements. He won nine Epsom Derbies, so many stories about this man and to talk about him now and remember him. I'm joined uh, by Ted Walsh. Ted is one of the finest horsemen in this country. He was 11 times champion amateur jockey. And as an amateur, he won the Queen Mother Champion Chase on Hilly Way in 1979. He also rode a horse called Daring Run, which won two big races uh, in Aintree in 1981 and 1982. As a trainer, Ted trained Papillon to win the 2000 English Grand National and Comanche Court to win the Irish Grand National. So he is a very distinguished man. Both of those Grand National winners were ridden by his son, Ruby Walsh, who is also a fine man and a legend in his own right. Uh, Ted, thank you very much for joining us. It's hard to overstate how dominant a figure Lester Piggott was and how he was famous way outside of the world of horse racing.
2: Yeah, very much like Tiger Woods was in golf. Yes. Very much so, or, or Muhammad Ali was in boxing. Yes. And you didn't have to know anything about boxing to know who Ali was and you didn't have to know anything about golf uh, to know who Tiger was. Yes. And the same way... In maybe not quite as big a scale, but the same way when you mentioned Piggott and Lesford, um, straight away racing, fellas that knew nothing about it, knew you. If you ask somebody at walk in the street, name me a jockey in that era, yes. they said Lester, Lester, you know. Yeah.
0: So, And he, he rode his first winner. First of all, I should say, and you'll know better than most people the significance of this his father was a jump jockey and a trainer. And his grandfather, yeah, Keith. yeah, and his grandfather, Ernest, uh, yes, uh, yeah, he,
2: Ernest, Ernest rode three Grand National winners, and his father, uh, Keith, uh, was a very good jockey, and he trained a Grand National winner, yes, uh, and was, he was steeped in that tradition. And his mother was Iris Rickaby from the Rickaby family, yes. who were produced many great jockeys, including Bill Rickaby, who won a lot of classics and was a champion jockey, and. He was he if if a man was bred to be a jockey, it was Lester from both sides, and even going back three or four generations. Yes, they it's... were all involved in racing and jockeys. I mean, he was born into the thing. They all saying jockeys are not made; they're born. well, he was born to be a jockey anyway. I don't know if anybody would have thought he was going to be quite the icon that he became, but uh, he definitely was. From from birth, he was channeled in that line.
0: Yes, and um he had a couple of impediments. He was hard of hearing, and he had a speech impediment as well. And that may also have explained some of his drive. He, he won his first race when he was 12 years of age. It was a race at Haydock, and the horse was called the Chase. That's remarkable and probably wouldn't be allowed by health and safety uh, these days, Ted. Yeah,
2: that's it. Yeah, health and safety would have stopped you yeah. now, these days. But, I mean, there's loads of the young lads that we have there presently in riding in pony races or flappers, whatever you call them, yeah. which would be a lot more dangerous than riding on a race course. And yes. the riding winners at 10, 11, and 12. We only saw shots recently of Rachel Blackmore and Paul Townend when there were 10 or 12 winning in a race in Dingle. You know, so yes, it's not allowed... Uh, to to have proper racing with anybody under 16 now. It used to be 14, now it's 16, you know
0: what I mean? Yeah, now Ted, you're an Aston Hunt man, but even for you, you would know, say, the significance of the nine Epsom Derby wins, which is extraordinary. Horses like Nijinsky, Survivor, the Derby then was a much bigger race than it is now in a way, wasn't it?
2: Ah, yeah, but the Derby is what, if you're involved in racing, you know about whether you're flat or jumping. You know about the Derby and the Grand National. They're the two most famous races on the flat. The Epsom Derby was the one race that all the other derbies around the world are called Derbies after yes. that Derby. The Kentucky Derby or the Irish Derby or the French Derby or the Australian Derby. The one, the first Derby was the Epsom one. And yeah. then the same way with the Grand National. I mean, that's a race that's known around the world as well. So, you don't necessarily have to be one or the other to know how significant they were. The Epsom Derby, I don't remember Piggott winning it in the 50s. He won three of them before I remember it. Yes. He won his first one on Ever Say Die, and then he won on Crepello and then he won on St. Patty in 60 or 61. I was only 11 then. The first one I remember him clearly winning because I was enthralled by it then at 16 when he won the Derby on Survivor.
0: Now uh, uh, Ted, he, he changed I think... From my perspective, and yours will be a lot more informed, of course, he changed the way jockeys were regarded because he uh, rode for Noel Merlis, the great new market trainer, and he left Merlis and went freelance, which was regarded at the time, I was living in England at the time, it was regarded as the height of insolence. Because jockeys were almost indentured to the trainer, and Noel Murnus was the, the 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 foremost British trainer of that age. And when Piggott left, it caused a sensation.
2: Yeah, well, it was the jockeys that time, particularly as you just said, they were apprentices, and they were always sort of the underdog to the trainer. He was the master, and he was always referred. Nobody, nobody riding would have walked in the morning and said, "Good morning, Noel." It would have been good morning, (laughs) Governor, or good morning, boss. It wouldn't have been good morning, Noel. Now, you walk into Valley Dyle with probably the greatest trainer that we're going to see in Aidan O'Brien, and every fella says, morning, Aidan. Yes, yes. You know? Yes. Like, that was it, and that that was, that's our culture. You and I are of much the same age, Yes, and that, you were brought up, everybody was a mister. Yes. uh, Until you were a certain age, and that probably carried on from that. Now everybody is first name terms. And if you're really cock of the walk in England or from that side of it, your pals are their last names. Morning Walsh or yeah. Morning Smith or whatever it is. And they don't yeah. think I can buy it. But, but uh, uh, we always take that as an insult. The Irish do. If a fella calls you by your last name, yeah. by your going to school, you know.
0: Let me ask you about the significance of his relationship with Vincent O'Brien and Robert Sangster. Uh, because part of the reason he wanted to leave Noel Merlis was he wanted to ride the best horses, and he also wanted to be free to hunt out the best horses. And, of course, Vincent O'Brien was a great trainer of jumpers and flat horses, and they had a, a very strong and lasting relationship, didn't they? Yeah, well, it was, a course,
2: a money relationship as well. Yes. They knew he was, he was the best jockey around. So it was an advantage to have him. And also it meant that the opposition didn't have him. Yes. So that was a, a, a two-way turn. Yeah. And also, like, they, uh, Robert Sangster was a great businessman as well, as Vincent was a great trainer. And they were able to entice Leicester into getting riding money-wise. And also, if the horses were good, to be get a share in them as a stallion. Yes. So it was financially very lucrative for Leicester as well, too. Because if these good horses, like I'm sure when Cripello won the derby, or saying, Paddy won the derby, whatever Leicester might have gotten, he's 8% or 5% for writing them. That was as much as he got for writing them. But all yes. of a sudden, these people come on the scene and they entice him in with a, a, probably a, a big retainer and also then a, a share of, of of the success in financially. So, I mean, he was. For all his he, he, his ability as a jockey, I'm sure he was a, he was hungry for money as well. You know what I mean? So, so,
0: so they said. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I I knew him now, but I don't know. Him. I didn't know on that length. But for all the chat is that he was he knew the value of a pound note anyway.
0: Yeah, he was he was uh, tight, mean. I suppose God rest him. He won't mind me saying that now. Um, and he, I do, doubt if he'll hear you. You he, he, he never know. That. <laughs> no, I don't think. <laughs> so. I don't think for. I don't think for one moment
2: that we listened to Emma Donfy's podcast where he's gone. <laughs>
0: um, I want to ask you about how he got some of his rides. Which part of his legend? And when I use the word legend, I mean part of his story was going after horses that he thought would win the Epsom Derby but there were other people's rides, and there's one in particular I'm looking at. In 1972, there was a, a lovely Australian man, Bill Williamson, who was a jockey, and he was a jockey for a horse called Roberto, which was trained by Vincent O'Brien, and and Lester wanted the ride, and he got it.
2: Yeah, well, of course, you see, Roberto was owned by John Galbraith, an American as well, too. Yes. Who, I don't know John Galbraith, but I mean... The difference between a horse winning the Epsom Derby at that time and being uh, and being valuable for a stallion was huge. And I suppose uh, Leicester got around. Uh, Lester was definitely knew Epsom well. William Williamson was a great jockey, but yes. he didn't have the same uh, sort of success rate around Epsom. And at that time, people said Epsom was tricky and hard to ride, and all that kind of thing. And it was an advantage to have Lester on board, and he got the ride. He was kept, he became available, and he just poached the ride. But sure. Uh, that was part of it. I mean, that's that's in every walk of life that goes on. We, at the time, it was supposed to be that, oh, you didn't you, you didn't take the ride off of somebody else. But that went on for donkey's years. I mean, those fellas, before Lester ever came on the scene, all yes. the fellas coached rides as well. too. That was a high-profile ride. But, I mean, uh, he did it, and he just got up on the line to win on Roberto. Now, whether Bill Williamson would have won him or not, that's purely speculation. Yes. So you need badly needed of but I mean, as we've seen since in loads of years, the best horse usually wins the Derby.
0: Let me ask you about your own opinion of him as a rider. I mean, I can tell you about Pele or George Best and where they rank and how good they were. How good was he in terms of... How, how supreme was he among his peers? Well,
2: I'd say the greatest thing about him was that he was he was sort of supremely confident in his own ability and the occasion never bothered him and if he made a mistake it didn't he didn't hang on it you know it yes. didn't bother him again like a great golfer else. if he missed one there he was equally as cool at the next one and or the penalty taker he had a great mind and he was a great man to read racing and he knew the best horses and he got on the best horses and he knew what everybody else was going to do because he had his homework done. Yes. He knew what the pace was going to be like. He might go down to the start and adjust what he was going to do, leaving the paddock where he could read fellas both to start whether the occasion was getting to them or not, or getting to their horses. Yes, or one, He just was able to read the situation like any great sportsman. He he knew where the ball was going to land, and yes. he was always there. Yes, you know.
0: I saw him win the Derby. I was at Epsom. It was 1968, and it's the only time I ever went to the Derby. And he rode a horse called Survivor. And yeah. he, g- he gave it an incredible ride, Ted. I was, I backed it. And I, yeah. I thought it was dead and buried. But boy, he held up and held up and held up and then, and then went.
2: Yeah, he was, that
0: was the one that got me
2: enthralled in Leicester. That was the first Derby I saw him winning on Survivor. Yeah. He was magic on him for, for, uh, the ambassador to Ireland at the time, uh, Raymond Guest, he yes. owned them. And That's he right. also owned Les Gargo, who went on to win the national. But uh, Lesler rode him survivor. I was magic on him, magic. And he got up to beat Sandy Barclay riding a horse. That's right. And we, Sandy Barclay was only a kid at the time riding for Morris. Do you know he, what I mean? But, he went
0: two or three lengths in front. In I looked the, home and hose. But as
2: yeah. time went on, Like Connacht actually didn't stay. Yes, that's and, right. And Barclay done a great job to get him as close as he did in the Derby. But at the time, we were all saying, what a brilliant ride Leicester gave him. And yeah. he did give Survivor, but he waited and waited, pulled him out. And you think he was like roadrunner. He just yeah. went by him like, and was brilliant to watch. And that stuck in our minds. For me, anyway, it's like you talking about the yes. uh, soccer players, whatever else That race will always stick in my mind, yes. Leicester on Survivor. You know what I mean?
1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: Let me ask you about the ride he gave a horse called the Minstrel, which <laughs> was said not to stay. Um, he battered him, and he won by the shortest of, short of noses, didn't he? He did, yeah. He was after getting beat on him in the English guineas and yeah. the Irish guineas.
2: Yeah. And he persuaded Vincent to, wasn't going to go that road, and he persuaded him to run him in, 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 in Epsom. And he won the derby. He got up on the line, I think he beat Ernie Johnson. I'm not sure who was second. I think it was maybe Ernie Johnson. But he, oh, he did. Now, nowadays, if, if a jockey used a stick like he used it. Uh, you'd get warned off, like, do you
0: know what I mean, you know? Yeah. yeah. Now, another extraordinary thing happened in his life. He was given a three-year prison sentence for not paying tax, for tax evasion. Tax evasion, yeah. yeah. It, it shocked many people. I remember, uh, I know it happened at Norwich Crown Court, and I didn't read that this weekend, but I, I remember the case, and I remember hoping that he wouldn't go to prison and and wondering if the fact that he'd ridden for the Queen and that she was known to admire him and all of that would have kicked in. But it didn't. He got a three-year prison sentence. I think he served about a year or 14 months of it. Then he came out of prison, Ted, and did something quite extraordinary. He rode a Breeders' Cup winner for Vincent O'Brien called Royal Academy.
2: Yeah. And I was, I was just there, I was there the same day.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, it was that was owned by Robert Sangster as well. Right? Yeah, I won't yeah, forget those yeah. colors, those green uh, colors. And uh, I mean, he gave it a hell of a ride.
2: Yeah, he got up on the line to win on the on the day and we were all there sure, and because Vincent didn't actually travel to uh, America to see him ride it now. Uh, Charles was in charge of him over there. Yes, uh, but he got up to win. It was great. He was fifty-four at the time. Yes, and uh, like it was, fa- fa- and it was fantastic to see it. Now, do you know the only, all these sad thing for me was not that day, but some of the younger generation will say Ruby's generation now in their forties. they only remember Lester when he made a comeback. Yes. and he wasn't within an, an ass's roar of the Leicester that. You and I would have remembered yes. in his twenties and thirties. Do you yes. know what I mean? And yes, indeed. Like you know, like any old person. Now he got a great tune at the Royal Academy on the day, and he won it, and it was a fantastic achievement. And I think soon afterwards he called it a day completely. Do you know what I mean? But yes, but uh, uh, that was extraordinary at that age to do to do what he did.
0: Yeah. The uh, other thing he he didn't do well was training. He tried to train Ted, and you you you've been on both sides of that particular. Yeah. Um, Thing you've been a successful jockey, of course, but also a very successful uh, trainer. How long did he last at the training? You see, the problem with that is he was a hugely
2: successful jockey riding all the best horses. And he didn't go train until he retired at 54 or 5. That's too late in life. Right. Because you have to, in training, you have to be able to start at the bottom and work your way up. And he wasn't going to, you can't start at the top. You have to start at the bottom. And somebody at 54 who'd been tra- riding all those good horses, being to Royal Ascot and Epsom and the Ark, he wasn't automatically going to have those type of horses in his yard. And right. he wasn't probably prepared to soldier on for five or six years to get those horses. Right. And he wasn't prepared then to be going to Salisbury and Bath and places yep. like that. So plenty of money, huge success. Yep. He's 54 or 5. Pfft, he probably didn't have the stomach to to persevere. And a lot of a lot of jockeys, Sir Gordon Richards was the same way, Doug Smith was the same way. Yeah. They didn't they just didn't have the hunger. You don't know, you don't have the hunger in your fifties that you do in your thirties.
0: Yes. Uh, and, you know, and,
2: yeah and, Johnny Frankham. Johnny Franken was another great national hunt jockey who went training and didn't last for long either because they just they just said that this is not for me. Like I mean half out to the small tracks and putting up and all that, and that's what you have to do.
0: And and in terms of the legend, as I said before, I'm sure you're well aware, uh, there's an awful lot of legends out there now, but this man was such a dominant figure in British sport, and internationally even, he went to Washington and won the Washington International, which used to be a really big race, It's, it's nothing now, but no, he, I think he was. He went there and rode the winner of that as well. Yeah, rode Survivor. Did he to win that? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: He rode Survivor to win
0: it. Yeah. The 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 legend around him about his meanness, about what he'd do to get on the horse he thought was going to win the race, and in the end, his inability. Did he fall out with Vincent in the end?
2: I don't know if he fell out with him. He stopped riding from. Them. They got Pat Edry instead. I'd say Lester was probably coming towards the end of of the Lester that we knew, and yeah. uh, he still would he still there was the good days in him, but not many as consistent as he was. And Pat was coming on the scene, and uh, Pat had ridden be champion right. jockey and it, and was a great jockey as well. And he took over no different now than the great soccer players or whatever they are. We might think there's another year or two in him, but the manager sees another fellow coming along. There's not much time left in this fella, and they move on. They didn't fall out because he still used to go down to Ballydoyle Like, the relationship ceased. But, like, they were never, I'd say, Lester and Vincent were never booze and pals.
0: I no. Mean, they were <laughs> two
2: great individuals that got on well together and respected one another. But I wouldn't say they went on holidays together now or called to see one another like that. Everything was a business thing, you know, and I'd say it just, it just, when people say it fall out, the business relationship fell out. But, like, I mean, that was all. They weren't, yep. they weren't, There weren't. The booze and buddies. Were, not at all. No, there no, weren't. No. <laughs> and <laughs> fellas <laughs> like to portray all that old stuff, too, yeah. fellas. And you'll have all sorts of fellas come along now saying, uh, Lester's pals. I'd say Lester had a handful of people that he was friendly with, and that was it. You know what I
0: mean? You know? There, there is a story of, of, uh, after the split with Vincent, when Pat we got the job. Yeah. At, at Epsom, Pat looked sure to win a race. I remember the race, actually. I think it was Christy Roach who might have won the race. Right he did.
2: Christy Roach beat
0: him. Yeah. But this colt that Vincent was training for Robert Sangstler, if it won the derby, it would have been worth squillions at yeah. stud. And it, it uh, Christy Roach got up on the rail and, and, and beat, shot, beat, beat Pat, who'd been on the bridle for a long out. Yeah. And Lester is alleged to have walked past the, the, the two boys, Vincent and Robert Sangster, in the paddock and said, Miss me, boys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a good story. And I mean, yeah. I doubt
2: if that ever happened. Mm. That's a grand story. It's like a whole lot. Everything gets legs now. Yeah. Like he might have had a smile at him or looked at him and he, he may have said it. I doubt it. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) I do. I I doubt it. I, I think that's, it's a good story. But he, he did have a sense of humor. He did, yeah. He did, yeah. But he was, well, he was full of himself. Like, you know what I mean? I know he he, was. He he, he actually thought that he actually, he actually knew how good he was. Yeah. You know what I mean? Some fellas are good, but they're sort of, but he knew how good he was and he had that air about him. He always dressed well and he walked into a race meeting. You knew he was coming. He was, you know, he was just
0: had a presence. Yeah, presence,
2: he was a bit special, a bit like Ronaldo now in in, in the soccer, do you know what I mean? Or There's other fellas there and you wouldn't see him in the crowd, but there's other fellas, you'd you'd always pick him out and you could always pick Leicester out, do you know what I
0: mean? Let let me ask you one final question, Ted, and it's about the break with Noel Merlis, the going freelance, and I remember the press in Britain were savage. Some of them said he should never ride again, and it was savage stuff, you know what they can be like. But anyway, how how, how little they knew. How little they knew. But was that a defining moment for jockeys uh, in the in the sense that he did something that was thought to be unthinkable and wrong, and it opened up a new era for jockeys to acquire respect, the money they deserved, and all of the freedoms that went with that.
2: Yeah, it was. It was a bit like the same in the soccer. If a fella yes. was, was was playing for his club and he went on and he was playing for Liverpool United as a young fella. The last thing in the world they would have expected him to do, like the Charlton's, was ever leave there. They might yes. have got sacked, but they didn't leave. Now yes. fellas, look look at where the big money is and they go. The whole world has changed. That was the first defining moment on jockeys, like I'd say, in our time anyway, that yes. Leicester said, I'm leaving Noel Morrison and going... There's more horses, more racing, bigger money, and away we go. And sure, that's, that's, people nowadays, it's part of life, but, uh, 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 at that time, it, it wasn't. And Leicester sort of was the first man to do it. And then it went on from there. Like Pat Hedry went and left Luke, Wa- Peter Walwyn, who had been champion yes. jockey with five or six times yes. and went to Vincent O'Brien. You yep. know what I mean? You know, so fellas went on there. Willie Carson went on and sure, like the Queen got rid of D. Carroll.
0: Yes, I you know, know what she me? did. Like, you
2: yeah. <laughs> I like, like was her trainer and all yes. of a sudden like, he got sacked. You yep. know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. That's just the way life is. Okay, yeah. Ted. It's a pleasure to talk to you always and this particular pleasure remembering someone who was quite unique. Uh, he was ex- that. And extraordinary. And in a way, sometimes, Ted, that sport can only do, it made us all, made all our lives a bit more interesting. Thank you very much, Uh, To Ted Walsh, thank you very much, Ted. Take care. We're grateful to Ted, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.